Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. All right. Zimbabwe. Come on, that was cool, right? They're in Africa right now. How y'all feeling, Celebration? You feel good tonight? Wonderful, wonderful. Y'all excited to be at church on a Wednesday? Yeah, yeah, me too. There's a lot of things that we could do on a Wednesday night, and I'm super glad that this is one of the options, and I'm glad that you all chose to be here. Hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Petey Bingham, and I'm the next-gen pastor here at Celebration Church. Um, Thanks. That means that I oversee all of our ministries that minister to those aged uh, zero to 30. So that's our nursery, preschool, elementary, middle school, high school, young adult, and college. And uh, I'll tell you what, I just want to take a moment just to tell you guys that, um, man, I, I speak on behalf of our whole team when I tell you how grateful we are that you would trust us with the next generation in this church. As you know um, from Pastor, you know, this is a... Um, um, this is a huge mantle of our church is the next generation and, uh, and that you guys would trust us with those people and your resources. Um, it's just, it's amazing. And I promise you that we don't take this for granted and we work really, really hard uh, to show God and the love of Jesus to them and to equip them uh, for life and, and to process pain and all those things. And um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much um, for giving us that opportunity. And in regards to that, I'm just very, very thankful uh, that we all attend a church that pastored um, by such an amazing, senior pastor team of Pastor Stovall and Pastor Carrie Weems, um, their heart for you and for us is unmatched. It really is. And um, man, I'm just thankful for the opportunity, not just to lead here at the church, um, but to speak to you tonight. It really uh, means a lot to me. And so thank you guys uh, so much. Hopefully I, I don't mess this up. So that being said, if you would go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, we're going old school, you know? We're going old school, Genesis chapter 37. Did y'all enjoy Pastor Jimmy last weekend, or last Wednesday, I guess? Yeah, listen, all I'm saying is, I'm just mad at whoever scheduled me the week after him. I mean, why would you? Y'all walking in here with your expectations that I'm gonna lead you in worship, you know what I'm saying? And here I am, just a mildly obese white kid who's a nerd and likes his Bible, you know what I'm saying? Whatever. I mean, look at me. I've got blue on blue. I don't even think that's a thing. It goes against everything our church believes in. Anyway, whatever. Doesn't matter. Sorry that I won't be singing to you tonight, but, you know, maybe next time. So, uh, that being said, I'm really, really excited about tonight. Uh, here's why. Not only are we talking about Jesus, which is one of my uh, favorite pastimes, but we are also uh, going to get a little bit nerdy tonight. Yeah, I'm, I just, that's all I know how to do, so we're going to have to do it. It is what it is. I'm not, not break every chain. Anyway, so, that being said... What we're gonna do um, is we're gonna talk about science, we're gonna talk about the Bible, we're gonna talk about Jesus, and we're gonna hope that at the end of this it all makes sense. We'll find out when we get there. So uh, that being said, specifically what I wanna speak to you about tonight um, is dark seasons, tough seasons, seasons that are filled with pain and suffering and shame. But really more importantly than that, what I wanna talk to you is how God has promised us that he will pull those us through those seasons. You know. It's true. The, the truth is life has a way of, many, of, 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 of dishing out suffering to us no matter where we are or what we're doing. I'm sure we've all experienced it before. Uh, we might even be experiencing it now and it's certainly something that we could experience in the future. And so therefore these practical tools and the perspective of God that we're gonna have here tonight I think is very, very important um, for, for our future here. So um, that being said, what we're gonna do is we're actually going to explore the life of Joseph. Um, Joseph is one of my favorite 
biblical characters for very many reasons. And uh, perhaps maybe you've heard a little bit or read in your Bible about him. Um, But just to give you a little background about my boy Joseph. So he is the son of Jacob, okay? And Jacob uh, is ultimately renamed Israel, and then his 12 sons become the leaders and namesake of the 12 tribes of Israel, which, of course, make the nation of Israel that are the chosen children of God in the Old Testament. So... In that, um, one day, Joseph gets this dream, this vision from God, that one day his brothers will bow down to him, that he will lead his brothers, not out of a pride thing, but more out of a prophecy thing. And so obviously, um, when the brothers heard about that dream, um, they didn't take it very well. You know what I'm saying? Um, Unfortunately, the nation of Israel has never uh, been fully marked by perfection, and right now is not one of those times because there's lots of family turmoil. You know what I'm saying? And so what we're going to look at is kind of zoom in on what happens when the brothers find out about this vision that Joseph gets from God, how it affects Joseph, and how that applies to our lives. Does that sound good? rock and roll. So Genesis chapter 37, uh, starting in verse 18, it says this, now when they, they being the brothers, saw him, him being Joseph, afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. A little overreaction, but whatever, that's fine. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Uh, Sarcasm at its finest. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. Cast him into some pit, and we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Okay, Reuben, thanks for the grace. Rock and roll. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the oh-so-famous tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. They cast him into a pit, The pit was empty and there was no water in it. This ultimately becomes one of the darkest seasons of Joseph's life. But what we're gonna see tonight is, of course, the the tough uh, uh, season he had to actually encounter, but more importantly, how God uh, perfectly worked this together for good. So tonight I've titled this message, Canoeing in a Black Hole. We'll see what happens. All right, rock and roll. Hopefully that makes sense. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And Jesus, we're just so grateful, God, for who you are. God, that you would give us the opportunity to gather in your name here tonight. God, I pray that right now you just give us a fresh revelation, God, of your love for us. God, that you just give us the ability to supernaturally feel you tonight. God, that you speak to each and every one of our hearts. And God, that you give us the ability to push through tough seasons in a way that you can only guide us through them. God, I just pray that I decrease tonight and you increase. God, we love you so much. It's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. And amen. So um, as a kid, my grandpa loved that dude to death. Amazing guy. And he owned uh, this, the most immaculate, beautiful ranch that I've ever seen in my whole life. I mean, if heaven, if, if I could have my picture of heaven, it's probably this ranch up in northern South Carolina. 
Um, the problem is, though, is that to keep it immaculate and beautiful, uh, it, it's a lot of work, you know? And so over the summer, my parents would, um, would like, you know, very happily with a smile on their face, say like, yeah, you want to go hang out with your grandpa? Go up there, help him work. It'll be fun. In hindsight, totally manipulation and broke some child labor laws, but whatever, it's fine. We've moved on. I'm okay now. I think I found freedom. So, but nonetheless, uh, I would go up to his house and we would work on these massive projects at his ranch just to make them more and more beautiful. So one particular summer, I show up at his house and he sits me down and he says, Petey, here's what we're going to work on this summer. And I said, okay, tell me what we're going to work on this summer. And he says, we're going to make a pond. Cool. I didn't even know that man could make a pond. I thought that that was totally just a natural geographic phenomenon. And apparently man can make a pond. Okay, cool. I'm in. You'll see by the end of this story that I'm still not convinced that man can make a pond, but regardless, we're going to get there. So here we go. So he says, we're going to make a pond and he lays out this plan. So here's the plan. The plan was we're going to put it in the back of the property right by the river that's in the back of, of, of his ranch. We're going to dig this massive hole. Seems logical so far, right? And then we're going to drill a pipe and one end of the pipe will drain into the river and the other end of the pipe will come up through the middle of the pond and it will actually control the water level. So that way, if the water level rises above that drain, um, it'll drain into the river and it will never actually overflow into anything. I said, nice, engineering at its finest. I'm in, I'm only seven, but let's do this thing. Let's do it, I don't care, whatever. I don't even, I can't even hold a shovel, but let's do it, all right, I'm in. So we do it and uh, we go in there and I'll tell you, we did it. Like we did it without a hitch. We dug a hole and then we dug another hole and then we put some water in it and it was a pond. It was, it was pretty awesome. And so we came back by the end of the summer. It had filled up with water. It was beautiful. We had landscaped it. It was so nice. And so my grandpa got this great idea. He was like, you know what? Let's stock it with fish. I said, all right, let's stock it with fish. So we call some fish guy. I don't know. How do you get that job? I don't know. Anyway, like, what do you do? I stock ponds with fishes. Okay, cool. Anyway, fishes, fish, whatever. Doesn't matter. Okay, so calls in this guy. He puts all these fish in the pond. We kind of let it go a few weeks. And then as we're sitting there, um, this fish guy calls back and he's talking on the phone to my grandpa. My grandpa's eyes get real big. And he's like, Petey, get in the car. And I'm like, yes, sir. So we jump in the car and we go up there. And uh, to make a long story short, um, it turns out that we were supposed to clear this farmland of the pesticide that was on it. Um, and so what happened was, is, is that the pesticide mixed with the water and then just made a poisonous death trap. And so what happened was, when we showed up, there was just a sea of dead fish carcass. Now, to make matters worse, a bunch of those dead fish carcasses had clogged the drain. And so it was overflowing into the rest of the ranch with dead fish, poisonous death trap water. It was awesome. So I'm standing at the edge of the water. I look at my grandpa and I'm like, what in the world are we going to do? And he looks at me and he goes, I mean, I, I should have told you this, but like, I don't know how to swim. And I was like, who builds a pond and doesn't know how to swim? What's wrong with you? It's being, that's like being lactose intolerant and working for Ben and Jerry's. You know what I'm saying? Like, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Why would you do that to me? Fine. So I said, what are we going to do? You can't swim. I'm like seven. I don't, even, I don't even know words yet. You know what I'm saying? I hope I knew words by seven. Anyway, I don't know why I said that. Anyway, and so he goes, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put you in this canoe. Oh, it was starting to make sense now. Canoe. Okay, anyway, so we put the canoe in the water. He goes, I'm going to put you in this canoe. You're going to paddle out to the drain. I'm going to give you this glove. You're going to reach in, pull all the dead fish carcasses out, and we're going to let it drain down to normal level, and then we'll figure out what to do. And I was like, I don't have a choice, do I? And he's like, nope. 
get in the canoe. I'm like, got it. I'm in. So I jump in the canoe. I go out. I put on this glove. I reach in. It was the grossest smelling thing I've ever done in my whole life, but that's fine. Whatever. And I reach in and I pick all these dead fish carcasses out. And lo and behold, it clears the drain and it starts draining. And I'm just like, oh, the man, I just did something productive. Yes. But what we didn't put together was the fact that, you know, okay, you know, like when you take a bath and then you undo the drain and it creates like this whirlpool, you know, and all the water's going up. So we pull the fish carcasses out, the whirlpool begins and the boat just gets sucked into the drain. And so here I am stuck in the middle of the poisonous death trap of a man-made pond that we made that summer with no escape. I'm just standing out there. Oh, and by the way, with a grandpa who can't swim. Whatever. I'm not bitter still. Okay. I promise. All right. So anyway, I'm standing there and I'm like, well now what genius? You know, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck out here in the middle of this pond with no way to get out, surrounded by poisonous water and dead fish. How in the world could this get any worse? You know, the truth is, um, this is a very, very similar situation that a lot of us find ourselves in, in life. You know, life has this way. I, I, I've found, um, you know, I'm not very old. I'm almost 30 now. And uh, so I don't have too much life experience. But in those 30 years, I have certainly learned that, um, that yeah, uh, you don't have to manufacture suffering in your life. You know what I'm saying? Like life has a really good way of just kind of dishing it out to you at unexpected times. And what happens is, is it puts you kind of in this whirlpool, this vortex of just downtrodden, uh, just this abyss feel of something that you just can't get out of and you can't escape, right? And the truth is, this is exactly what Joseph found himself in as he uh, was placed into this pit by his brothers. Could you imagine, here you have Joseph, God gives him a dream, he gives him a vision, right? And then all of a sudden, within days, he's in the bottom of a pit, betrayed and rejected by his own family, laying in the bottom of a deep, dark pit that he, that he can't escape, that has no water in it, and is completely empty other than him, this dark abyss of a season. But see, the truth is, um, it, it actually got worse. It got worse because somebody found him, and who found him were the Egyptians, and what the Egyptians did is they pulled him out of the pit, but metaphorically speaking, put him in a deeper one, put him in a deeper one, and threw him into slavery in Egypt, away from his family. So if you could imagine what kind of a dark season that that would put Joseph in, um, I, I'm pretty sure it would have a profound effect on the rest of the story. But the truth is, I think a lot of us in this room can identify with that feeling. Um, an interesting passage of scripture is Psalm 88. And in that, in that, we find the author, his name is Haman. We don't know too much about Haman other than when he was writing this passage of scripture, he was certainly in a dark season. And so he writes this very, very interesting text in the book of Psalm about a dark season that he finds himself in, similar to what Joseph is, similar uh, to what some of us have experienced. And in Psalm 88, here's what Haman writes. It's really interesting. He writes, I'm a black hole in oblivion. I'm a black hole in, a, in oblivion. You've dropped me into a bottomless pit. You've dropped me into a bottomless pit, sunk me in a pitch black abyss. I'm battered senseless by your rage, relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. I think it's safe to say that Haman is not in a good place. We don't know what it is. We don't know what's happening, but we certainly know that he is in a deep, dark, depressing season as he is calling it a bottomless pit, a deep, dark abyss. But what is interesting is that he calls it a black hole in oblivion. 
It's interesting language to choose. You know, because if you think about it, that word black hole, told you we are gonna get nerdy, that word black hole in context to us has a whole different context to what it has to them. But it's interesting because I wonder if Haman, as he wrote this, knew the kind of amazing descriptive power that that would carry even to today with the knowledge that we actually have of this verbiage of black hole. You see, back in those days when he was writing the Psalms, uh, science hadn't really advanced much. It hadn't really gone much of anywhere, right? Uh, back in those days, they didn't know the world was round. Um, they, you know, they, they thought the, the, the earth was the center of the universe. You know, they, they just, they had no uh, idea as to the scope of the laws of physics, all of those things. And so in these times, he's writing this language that today, with the knowledge that we have, has profound impact on really what he's getting at. Here's here's what I mean by that. You see, that word black hole today reminds us of what we would perceive as to be a black hole in our universe. Now see, the book of Psalm tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God, which means that as we study the heavens, as we, as, we, as we embrace the heavens, what it does is it really just teaches us of the greatness that is God. And so when we apply those two together and we kind of blend this scientific fact with this scripture here, it's really interesting what happens. So watch this, okay? Here's a little background on some black holes, okay? Here's how they work. So a black hole was actually birthed because a giant supermassive star, it dies and it implodes on itself. And all of the matter that is made up, that makes that star actually condenses into one single sphere, a highly dense, highly volatile sphere that's very, very, very compact with all the matter that once made that supermassive star. What we call that today is called a singularity. And a singularity, uh, one of the interesting traits of it, it is, is it has um, a, a gravitational pull that's really hard for us to even understand, right? So, so literally, the gravitational pull of that single singularity, tiny singularity, uh, is literally millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of any sort of gravitational pull that exists in our solar system. It's very, 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 very powerful. And how it works is, obviously, as gravity is pulling things towards uh, the singularity that makes this black hole, there's a, there's a point on the, on the outer rim of the black hole that's called the event horizon. Are y'all following me so far? It's getting nerdy. I think that's as nerdy as it's going to get. So just continue to follow me. Okay. So there's this thing called the event horizon. Now here's what the event horizon is. If you are on the inside of the event horizon, you are within the gravitational pull of the black hole. If you're on the other side of the event horizon, you are not within the gravitational pull of that black hole, but you can see it happening. Does that make sense? It's literally this, this line that surrounds it where I'm not being pulled in and I am being pulled in. That's the event horizon. Everybody good? Everybody follow me? We're in science class. Okay, rock and roll. So here's some interesting things that happen if you were to step into the event horizon of a black hole, okay? So if I cross the line and I am now being pulled by the gravity of a black hole, watch this. So you know, the closer that you get to the core of the earth, gravity is more intense, okay? So at sea level, gravity is holding us to the ground. When we go up into orbit, it's no longer holding us into the ground and it's kind of a sliding scale as you go down. So there's more gravity pulling us at sea level than there is on the top of a mountain. You following me? Yeah, okay. In a black hole, the gravitational pull is so intense that if you stepped in to the event horizon, the difference in the pull of gravity between your toes and your head increases by a factor of one million. 
So what that means is that your toes are being pulled a million times uh, with, with a million times more force than your head is. Doesn't take an astronomer to figure out that what that means is that you are being stretched. If you got pulled into an event horizon, you will literally be stretched as you're being pulled into it. And I kind of wonder when Haman in Psalm chapter 88 was writing the fact that his season felt like a black hole, if he knew the profound implication of that word. Because if you think about it, in, a, in, in, in the deepest, darkest seasons of your life, gosh, it stretches you. God pulls you in every direction. And even more scary than that, as it pulls you, you have no, seemingly no control over it. And the more that you try and fight it, the more that you bend, the more that you stretch, and at some point, you eventually break. That's what those hard, hard seasons feels like, stretching, uncomfortable, awful. Just you feel like you're never going to escape. Another interesting thing about the event horizon of a black hole is if it were possible for me to stand on the outside of the event horizon and someone else were to stand inside the event horizon and we were staring at each other, the person standing inside the gravitational pull uh, what happens is it's pulling so hard that it actually literally slows down time. So time is actually slower within the event horizon, which means if I could look at someone um, standing inside and standing outside, I would actually watch the person outside of the event horizon age, and I wouldn't. Fascinating, right? But the truth is, I, I wonder if Haman, when he was writing Psalm 88, and he wrote that his dark season felt like a black hole in oblivion, if he knew the profound implication of the word. Because I don't know about you, but dark seasons for me, they feel like time has slowed down. And it feels like the days are just long, feels like the weeks are drawn out, feels like as, as, as each passing moment goes by, your anxiety and your worry and your doubt and your pain and your shame and your worthlessness and, and the negative thoughts that you have about yourself and your skepticism and all of those things build, build, build. And as they build, it, it's almost as though it stretches time and everything slows down. In other words, it seems as though to our perception that our mountaintop seasons don't last as long as our valley seasons. You know, it feels that way. It feels like that. The other uh, amazing, um, interesting thing about a black hole is that if you were to cross the event horizon and you were to go into the black hole, the only way that you could escape it is if you travel in the opposite direction of the singularity faster than the speed of light. But here's the problem. The problem is the only thing in the known universe that can travel the speed of light is, well, light. And the only thing that can, that can travel faster than the speed of light is, well, nothing that we know of. Which means that by the power that we have around us, there is really no escaping there's no way that we can escape. And so what we can deduce from that is the only way possible to escape a black hole, if you're in it, is for something much bigger than the black hole to help you. For something much bigger, in fact, than the universe that that black hole is sitting in. Something that possibly has the power to create the very universe in which that black hole is living. Something that has the strength, the power, the might, the majesty, and the grace to pull you from that black hole. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, sometimes what happens is when we're in our deepest and darkest 
awful seasons and our days are long and we don't know what's happening and we're lost and we're confused and we're feeling all these negative feelings, you know, what happens is uh, we go through a time at which we convince ourselves that we could pull ourselves out of it. And we convince ourselves that there's a strength within us or there's something around us that we can pull from that will help us pull out of it. And by that, I mean, um, um, uh, I don't know, when you're stuck in a dark season, maybe you turn to alcohol. Maybe you turn to drugs. Maybe you turn to sexual sin. Uh, maybe you turn to uh, fin- bad financial decisions. Maybe you turn to shopping. Um, maybe you turn to total depression and total depravity and total isolation. And these are things that we think are gonna help ourselves, but the truth is, in the same way that when you walk into a a black hole and there's no escaping, there's nothing within your own strength. You see, that's because there is nothing around us that was ever intended to have the strength to pull us out of those seasons. Why? Because you see, we need something bigger than ourselves. Yeah. We need something bigger than our situations. We need something bigger than our earth. We need something bigger than our solar system. We need something bigger than a black hole. We need something bigger than the universe. We need something that has the power to create the very being as to who we are. Isaiah 55 verse eight says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 40, 28 says, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Y'all, he's a big, big God. Job 28 verse 14, indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways, How small a whisper we hear of him, but the thunder of his power, the bigness of his power, the greatness of his power, the expanse of his power. Who can understand? Psalm 147 verse 5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. It's bigger than the perceived known universe. Psalm verse 8 verse, uh, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 8 verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, the black holes which you have ordained, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you would even visit him, that you would have a massive, incredible capacity and you would still come down and pull us out of our terrible seasons? Oh, how about this one? Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. Even the earth was a deep, dark, abyss, bottomless pit. But watch this, watch this. The spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Don't you think for a second that in your deepest, darkest seasons of your life that the Spirit of God is not hovering over you, it's not giving you a hedge of protection, it's not seeking after you, it's not empathetically looking down at you and saying, I want you, come back to me. And then God said, let there be light. Don't for a second tell yourself that you are ugly and not let God tell you that there's light inside of you. Don't you for a second let God tell you that you won't amount to anything and not let God tell you that there's light on the inside of you. Don't you for a second take a dark season of your life where you feel like you will never, ever, ever, ever escape it and think that God won't breathe life into that situation and pull you into greater heights. It's not gonna happen. This is the God of the universe. This is the creator of everything that we know. And this is the God who's in the business of saving me, of saving you, and of saving this entire world from the schemes of the enemy. And he's not gonna stop. He's not gonna stop. Now, I bet you're wondering how I got out of that pond. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, left you in, in uh, tension there. So here's what happened. Here's what happened. I'm stuck in the middle of this pond. I'm stuck in a deep, dark abyss of poisonous death trap with seemingly no way to escape. So I look over at my grandpa and I say, Grandpa, how in the world am I going to get out of here? And he goes, I got an idea. I said, okay, cool. What is it? And he goes, like, huh? What did he say? Anybody hear him? Oh, good. I'm the only one out here. Wonderful. Yeah, awesome. And then he disappears. Yeah, he just goes. I don't know where he went. So I'm standing out there all by myself. Like, I mean, I guess this is how I die, you know? Hope my parents knew I loved him, whatever. So, so then within about five minutes, all of a sudden I hear this sound coming over the hill. And when I look over, here comes this big old Silverado backing up towards the edge of the water. And then hops out of it this little old man. And I was like, who is it? Oh, that's my grandpa. Okay, cool. And he comes around and he grabs this rope and he throws this rope. And he yells to me, tie the boat or tie the rope to the boat. And then I'm going to pull you out with the truck. I said, I, um, listen, we're not, we're like, we are zero for one on ideas right now. And I don't know that this is a good one. And he was like, whatever, just do it. It's going to be fine. I'm like, cool. All right, rock and roll. So I tie it to this canoe and I sit down and I've never prayed before. And I said, Lord Jesus of the heavens, I'm not sure I know you yet, but, um, this is a good time to start. I don't want to be baptized in this poisonous water. So, uh, help me Lord fix it, Jesus. <laughs> So I'm, kneel, I'm like, I'm sitting in this, in this canoe and he goes, all right, I'm going to count you down. I'm like, here it happens. Here it goes. Three, two, one. And he goes and lo and behold, it was just smooth. It was just smooth. And I just glide like, I'm king of the world, you know? And I just, I go and it makes me, it takes me all the way to the shore, even pulls me on land. I step out and I never even touch the water. And I was like, wow, that actually worked. Now here's what I want you to notice. My first inclination in the midst of this pond was to look around me and go, okay, what is at my disposal? There's poison, there's water all around me, there's dead fish, like, can I make a walkway on dead fish? I don't, you know, like, do I fasten together a rope with my hair? I don't know how this works, you know, what do I do? I'm looking for strength all around me and I can't seem to find it. But notice that the way that I escaped was something that was completely outside of the pond. It was a power that had nothing to do with anything within the pond, but instead something else. And here's what I want you to see, is that in addition to that power that was outside of this pond was also a rope. It was also something that I could grab onto, that I could pull, and it would pull me out of the depths of this pit. How many of you know that God gave his one and only son so that we could have everlasting life? Do you know that God threw you a rope he threw me a rope. He threw your kids a rope. He threw your husband, your wife, your family, and your friends, and your pastors, and your leaders, and everybody in this world. He threw them a rope, and his name was Jesus Christ. Yeah. And in that moment, when he threw that rope, it was something firm that we can hold on to. Because see, what, what, what you have to understand is God doesn't, you, know, you have to understand, sin poisons your life. It poisons everything. And the deeper that you try and escape all of this, you just seemingly fall deeper and deeper in sin. Have you ever noticed that? Like this very thing that brought you into that dark hole is actually what keeps you in it, right? The whole reason I was in the boat in the first place was because the water was poisonous, right? And it was the very thing that was keeping me stuck because I couldn't jump out and, and, and swim. That sin was the very thing that held me in the middle of this and gave me no escape. And notice there was nothing within my own power that I could do to escape it until the rope came. 
I want you to know that, man, we're lucky that we live in this dispensation of grace. We're lucky, thank you, God, that we live in a, in, in a world and in a, in a situation, in a, in a realm at which God threw us a line and said, you're not gonna stay there. You're gonna come up. And not only that, but he continually throws us that line over and over and over again. Matthew 11 says uh, in verse 28, come to me, all you, who are labor, all you who labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What you have to understand is that one of the most fascinating things about Jesus and something that will revolutionize your relationship with him is when you recognize the, the, the empathetic nature of who he is. See, God just didn't sit up in, in heaven and look down with his, you know, thunderbolt uh, uh, staff, you know, and look down and say, oh, man, that looks awful, you know. Here, you know what he did? He said, no, I'm going to get down in the dirt with you. I'm going to jump down in the pit. I'm going to get down there with you. I'm going to get into that abyss, and I'm going to be there, and I'm going I'm 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 to fight for you. I'm going to minister to you, and I'm going to die on a cross, be buried and resurrected again so that that poison completely goes away. See, we're not alone. And one of the biggest lies you can tell yourself is when you're in one of those seasons is that you're all by yourself. But the truth is, that's what the enemy wants us to think. But you know what? Christ is always enough. Even if it's the very people, just like Joseph, his family, the very people he grew up with threw him in the pit. And seemingly he was all alone. But you know what? He knew that he wasn't. Because he got a dream from God. He got a vision from God. I pray tonight that you get a vision from God that you get a dream from God and it's something that you can stand firm on, that it's a rock on which you can build your life. And even in the darkest of your seasons, you'll know, God, thank you for this vision. Thank you, God, that your yoke is easy and your burden is light and that you threw me a rope to pull me out of any situation that I'm in, including the fallen world in which we live in that will take us to eternity. So that being said, all that's cool, but now you're like, okay, PD, that's great, but how in the world do I actually do this? Fantastic question. Okay, so let's look at the life uh, of, of Joseph and, and how this played out and how he overcame um, these tough, this tough season that he was in. There was four very, very important things that he did to overcome the tough season. Number one, number one, he stayed faithful to the dreams that God gave him. Now, here's what I want you to remember. Remember that God gave him a dream God gave him a vision, and within just a few days, he was in the bottom of a pit, and it seemed as though that dream would never come to fruition. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll be real. I'll be honest. If I feel like God gave me a vision, and within days, it seems as though that vision will not come to pass, my thing is I'm going to say, okay, God, so where, where are you? What was that about? I don't, in, 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 in some ways, kind of give up, right? But see, what Joseph did is he stayed faithful to that dream because he knew it was God. He stayed faithful to what he knew that God was doing. And here, here's why. Romans 5, verse 3 says this, Not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Some uh, uh, translations say suffering. We also glory in suffering, knowing that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. You see, what I've found is that our ability to obtain a God-like character is directly influenced by the amount of suffering that we face in our life. And this is what Joseph knew. He knew that a dream from God and a vision from God would not come without persecution. He knew that people would not agree with it. He knew that people would think he was crazy. He knew that people would try and thwart the plans of God in his life. Why? Because that's the work of the enemy. Because the enemy is very real. 
But praise God that the enemy has already been defeated. And praise God, we serve a God that we can be faithful to his promises because he promises that his promises will never die and never go away. Second thing that he did is he never stopped ministering. He never stopped ministering. Uh, You know, in all of this that was happening, Joseph, of course, got pulled into slavery. Um, He got pulled into Egypt. And then ultimately, he gets wrongly accused of a crime and he gets thrown in prison. So just to make matters even worse, not only did his family betray him and not only did he get pulled into slavery, but now he's sitting in prison waiting to die. I don't know about you, if I'm being raw and honest here for a minute, I'm definitely throwing in the towel now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. This is good. But look at what Joseph does. This is what Joseph does as he's sitting in a cell with other people. Genesis 40, chapter 6, it says, And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. And then the text goes on to tell us how he ministered to them. So this dude is like totally betrayed by everybody that he knows. He goes into a prison cell in a deep, dark season, but sees other people in it and begins to minister to them right where they're at. You know, what I've found is that sometimes your best ministry happens in your hardest seasons. Why? Because you have perspective. You have empathetic eyes to know what it feels like. And you're ready to not only just pull yourself out of the pit, but what you got to recognize is the only way you're getting out of the pit is if you take other people with you and you take yourself up. Pull him in, man. Keep ministering to him. Number three, be aware that this is so much bigger than you. Sounds a little harsh, but let me explain. Joseph knew that this whole thing was so much bigger than who uh, uh, he actually was, but instead what what God had in store. Um, It says this in Genesis 39. It says, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. You see what ultimately happened is, is, is Joseph... Um, embraced what was happening, but still stayed strong in his character. He allowed God to take him through that process of suffering to character, uh, to suffering to perseverance to character to hope. He let him take him through that. And what happens is as his character developed, then the Egyptians had no other choice but to look at him and be in awe. And he eventually found himself as the right-hand man of Potiphar, a highly ranking official in Egypt. So a man who was once a slave and betrayed by his family is now the right-hand man of of an Egyptian official. He was, uh, he, was, he was totally full of success. But here's the thing. What the Bible teaches us is he wasn't successful by his own accord. It wasn't himself that drove him. It was, it was the deep yearning to see his family again and save his family. The very family that betrayed him, that was what drove him in order to be successful. Why? Because he learned how to manage his success. It was way less about him and far more about his family, even the very people who betrayed him in the first place. I mean, don't forget, it's a lot bigger than just you because God's writing one big mass story. It's a story of redemption. Number four, the last thing is this. Um, make the first move. Make the first move. If you hear anything that I say tonight, I want it to be this, okay? This is very, very important for you to understand. So listen to me closely. This is big. You have to understand that God wants you to make free will decisions that will start processes that only he will finish, I'm going to say that again, okay? God wants you to make free will decisions that begin processes that only he can finish. Here's what I mean by that. 
Um, how many times have you been in a moment of faith and you think to yourself, how in the world am I going to be able to get out of this situation? How in the world, I feel like God is telling me to do that, but I have no idea what the exit strategy is. I don't know, you know what that is? That's faith. That's what that is. And what you'll notice in life is that every supernatural move of God actually begins with a natural move of man. We have to make the first move. Here's what I mean by that. You know what? God wants you to be a better father. But you know what you gotta do? Spend more time with your kids. God wants you to be a better husband. But you know what you gotta do? Be affectionate to your wife. God wants you to be blessed in your finances. But you know what you gotta do? You gotta steward it well. God wants you to be a better student, but you know what you gotta do? You gotta apply yourself. God wants you to be successful in your job, but you, know, but you know what you gotta do? You gotta actually take your job seriously because where God has you is the very ministry in which he puts you. And praise God, you ain't a slave in Egypt. Am I right? Well, I know sometimes your job can feel like you're a slave in Egypt, but I promise you it ain't that bad, right? Sorry, they shouldn't say that. But regardless, um, you, every supernatural move of God begins with a natural step of man. If you want it, go get it. Pray to God and then make the move. Pray to God and, then, and, 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 and if you know it's God that's pushing you and you know that it's, it's what's right, it's, it falls within biblical truth, if you know that that's what it is, and here's what you gotta do. Say, God, please give me the strength to be a better husband. Okay, it's time to end the affair. I don't know who that was for, but there's that. Ben, you can come back out. Um, and so in that, you know, um, um, I, I've shared a, a bit of my testimony um, with you guys before, you know, if you've, if you've um, you know, heard it. If not, it's, I can share more of it later. But, you know, um, I, in, in preparing this message and as, as I was just seeking God, you know, he kept bringing me back to a particular moment in my life. And, uh, and here was the moment. It wasn't, I was, I was uh, gosh, I was 22 years old. So I was 22. And, uh, and in this particular season, um, my older, so, so just a year before my dad had passed away and, uh, I, I legally adopted my little sister who was still in high school. And, uh, for the, for the following year, we, we had to like live in a house that we couldn't afford to keep her in her school so that she could finish. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously money was tight and we were trying to, we were all by ourselves. It was just me and her. Um, you know, there was a lot of abandonment that happened in that season. Um, my older sister had completely disappeared from our lives and was completely gone. And we tried to even call her and tell her that our dad had passed away and she wanted nothing to do with it. And, uh, and uh, it got to the point where um, my little sister got in to college and we shipped her off to college and she went and uh, I had to sell the house. And so I, I sold our house and we didn't have much money at that point. And so what happened was, is is like, I mean, like literally, I was, I, was, I was homeless. And not only that, but in the midst of this, I was dating, who is now my wife, and we were on the fritz. It was bad. And, uh, and I remember the only thing that I could do that night was I, I had enough money to go to a Motel 6. And so I had a bag, a box, and my dog. <laughs> and, uh, and we went to this Motel 6, and we paid for it. And I laid on this bed, and I remember I rolled over, and and I looked at the sink and underneath the sink, it was just covered in mold. And I kind of laid there and I thought to myself in this moment, I was like, God, what, what is happening? Like, what, what is this? What, what is this season? I literally have no idea what's gonna happen. 
I literally have no idea what's gonna happen tomorrow. I don't know how to, to make sure that I have enough finances to get my little sister through college. I don't know how we're gonna survive this season. And as weird as it sounds, remember I was laying there and my dog was laying in the bed next to me and, and I don't know how to describe it, but sadness didn't overcome me. And it was, it was weird. It was because I said it out loud. You know, I said, God, what, what is this? I said it. But then it was weird because I expected sadness and shame and hurt and depression, those things, but those things didn't come. And I remember I rolled over and I looked at my dog and I don't know how, I don't know, but I looked at him and I said, you know, man, it's gonna be okay. And I honestly don't even, I can't even tell you where that came from. I don't know, I don't know what happened. I don't know what spurred me on to say it, but I looked at him, I said, it's gonna be okay. And from that moment forward, I, I was just like, all right, I'm gonna hit the ground running. And I'm just gonna trust that God um, truly has my best intentions and, and he'll truly take this suffering, turn it into perseverance, turn it into character and ultimately into hope, that hope that I felt in that moment. It's funny because you fast forward to today and here I stand before you eight years into ministry, um, you know, every day getting paid by tithing money to help people overcome similar seasons like this. I'm married to the love of my life, my, love of my life, Farah over there. Um, and and uh, my little sister graduated college and has a job. Um, you know, everything, everything worked out. And here's where it got real. Where it got real was when we had our kids. And, uh, you know, we had our little girl, she's two now, Quinn, and then our, our, our newest addition to our family, his name's Nixon, he's almost five months old. And it's so funny, you know, because today I look at them and I, th I think what God is revealing to me as I look at them and parent them and talk to them and play with them is God continually reminds me that like those kids are miracles because I wasn't set up to give them a good life. But for whatever reason, God gave me the faith. God gave me the grace. God gave me the ability. God threw me a rope. And I look at those kids today and I say, there is no reason as to why you didn't get sucked into the black hole with me. But guess what? Jesus came in. Jesus provided healing. Jesus changed my life. And here's what I think. I think that Jesus wants to change your life tonight. You know, the book of Revelation tells us that we overcome the enemy by two things. Number one, the blood of the lamb. Praise God, he provided that for us. Number two is the word of your testimony. Here's, here's what I learned, is that I don't have control over the cards that I'm dealt in life. Neither do you. Some people get a little bit better. Some people get a lot worse. Nobody gets dealt a perfect hand. And so we don't have control over that. We don't have control over the hand that we're dealt. But here's what we do have control over. We do have control over how we view our testimony. Is it truly just a, a testimony of sadness and a testimony of something that, oh man, I, I, I'm a victim? Or is it something that you're confident that God will truly work together for good? Genesis 50, 20, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order for you to bring about to this day. And here's what it says, to save many people alive. So you gotta understand, it's not just about you. 
Man, it's about all of us. And when we learn to embrace our testimony and embrace the cards that we've been had, sure, we can cry in a corner if we want, or what we could do is we can embrace that testimony, trust that God is instilling hope inside of ourselves, and you will never, ever look back negatively again, but instead see the glory of God in your life and how he pulled you out of the deepest, darkest black hole that you've ever been in. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.